Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Biscuits, colon, a hockey podcast. I'm still Dave, still from Vice Sports. I'm in America. I'm in Brooklyn. And this intro's gone on too long, so I'm going to stop talking now. Hey, everyone. I'm Sean. I'm in Ottawa, and I'm cold. Let's talk some hockey. What do you mean you're cold? It's freezing. How, how cold is it? How cold is it? What's the? Give me the. Give me the American temperature. Don't give me that crazy Canadian stuff. Uh, you know what? Actually, it's. I think we're right around zero, so it's the same, right? So I I, be, I believe that's thirty two degrees. Yeah, it's 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 gonna get colder, but it's yeah, it's not it's not good. Isn't 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 thirty two like like seventy five degrees for you people in in Ontario? Isn't this like your summer weather still? Uh, Come on. Yeah. Well, it's 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 gonna get worse. We but we've got like nine more months to ride this out, and then then we'll be we'll have six days of spring, two weeks of thunderstorms, and then be right back in the winter. Outside of weather news, I know you tuned to this podcast to find out how cold it is on the day we do this, but we're going to move on to some hockey. And once again, Gary Bettman decided to talk in public, and there were cameras there, and there were microphones there. Brian Burke, also who still gets invited to these things for some reason that I don't understand, was also at something. It was called the Primetime Sports Conference, which if there's ever a sport that's not ready for primetime, it's hockey. So I don't know how they how they get people invited there, but... Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you saw this as well, but uh, Gary Bettman had some thoughts on the Olympics and expansion and lockouts. And I don't know about you, but I hated them. They were they were bad thoughts, Sean. Yeah, there, there's nothing that gets nothing hockey fans love more than Gary Bettman speaking in public, and and yeah, and Brian Burke speaking in public. And we were blessed with both of those happening at the exact same time uh, yesterday. So. Uh yeah, good good old good old Gary Bettman. I guess the news out of this when it comes to the Olympics is I think most of us had been under the assumption that when they didn't go to 2018 that they would surely figure out a way to go the next time around because 2022 is in China and that's the big market where they want to be. That's the 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 next great frontier for for not just the NHL but for all of pro sports that's the market everyone wants to get into and you would have to be i mean you you would need to be insane to say that you have international expansion plans and that you want to 
to make your mark in China and then not go and send your best players to the Olympics there. So we all kind of figured this 2018 was a temporary uh, absence and that it would all get sorted out. And according to Gary Bettman, and you take this obviously with a very large grain of salt, that's not the case. And he, he made it sound yesterday as if the NHL has no intention of going to China and that the the NHL is quite happy to sit out unless and until the games come back to North America and, and maybe even maybe even then. So, I, I mean, I guess maybe the first question before we, we get all worked up over it is, do we, do we even believe him when he says that? No, he just wants, he's just posturing publicly. Literally the, every statement he made yesterday that got picked up, whatever, whether it was about expansion, whether it was about the Olympics, it was just pretty much the NHL is not getting enough money. We need more money if we're going to do X, Y, or Z. That's all it is. But it's just so frustrating that they, they, they continue to push the grow the game thing, which I hate. I hate that term, grow the game. It makes me angry, grow the game. Like, if the game is good, it'll it'll grow. If the sport is good, you know what I mean? Like, you never hear the NFL like, yeah, we want to grow the game or the NBA. We want to, like, people just like the NBA because it's awesome. People like the NFL because it's awesome. People, the NHL makes people mad. The NHL does stuff that just doesn't make any sense. Like, hey, we want to grow the game overseas. Well, what about the Olympics? What if we go to what if we go to South Korea and play play hockey there with our best players in the world? <sighs> I don't know. What if we gave them two preseason games in China involving backup players on the Canucks and Kings? And then maybe, I don't know, <sighs> just spitballing here. What if we sent, I don't know, Ottawa and Colorado to Sweden for a couple days and let them play hockey over there? Yeah, that's a way better idea than having the best players in the world. And, and the whole thing, too, where he's like, ah, Sidney Crosby's goal in Vancouver. You know, we haven't been able to show that. Like, think about that. Like, really, do you think no one's seen that goal? It's an eight-year-old goal. It's the biggest goal in Canada's history in the last 30 years. You're telling me people aren't aware of the fact that Sidney Crosby scored that goal and he plays in the NHL? I don't, I don't, again, everything he says is just a deflection from the NHL is not getting enough stuff from the IOC and and they're and it's just it's just it's just such a short-sighted thing where they want to get a few million extra dollars for expenses and they don't think about the grow the game thing when it's I, I just it's I'm glad that Sean and Dave's angry angry hockey hour thing is back again because I, I missed this I really did I feel like we eased into it last week and then <laughs> now we're we're back in and and on that topic though like with with Gary Bettman, the Olympic thing did get most of the attention, and I'm pretty much with you. I think this is this is a this is a bluff. I, I probably would have said the same thing about 2018 up until a few months ago when it became apparent that they actually weren't going. So so maybe my maybe I don't know as much here as I as I think I do. But yeah, I, I'm not. I, I I they have to find a way to to get to get to China it's it would be ridiculous to do everything they're doing now and then and then not do that but it, the other thing that Gary Bettman said that I thought was interesting was he was in in a attempt to make a point about the salary cap and in an attempt to basically pat himself and and the league on the back for implementing a salary cap and for implementing uh this age of parity that we're in now where there's there's basically no difference between the third best team and the 28th best team and and everyone's 500 and nobody has any idea who's going to win on any given night uh, and and he said some interesting things where he basically went back to the 1990s and 
for, for you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said that, yeah, the, the hockey sucked in the 90s and the, 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 you know, the 2000s leading up to the lockout because there was the, the one teams were spending three or four times as much as other teams. And those teams that couldn't spend, the only way that they could compete was by clutching and grabbing and playing defensive hockey and, and basically making the product unwatchable, which, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, first of all, it's like, Gary, that's, get your own shtick, man. That's, that's us. <laughs> this is what we do. Just because you're doing it retroactively, like a decade behind everyone else's, but you know, it's, it's hard as a fan to not sit there and go wait a second i was around during that time and you're correct the the product did suck but you were right there telling us how great it was and how we were wrong to think that maybe all this clutching and grabbing and low scoring hockey wasn't entertaining and and you assured us that it was fantastic and now here you are years later going yeah i i was lying it it was garbage all along and you're kind of left going, okay, well, you know, let us know, let us mark our calendars. When do we get Gary Bettman's real opinion about what 2017 looks like? Because I, uh, you know, again, he assures us that the game's wonderful now, but I guess apparently you have to wait about a decade for his actual honest opinion. The, the thing too, I, I kind of don't like is the, so the reason why there's a salary cap is because owners don't want to give players money. That's the period, end of discussion. There's not a salary cap because Ken Danico was hooking Steve Eiserman in the 1995 Stanley Cup final. You know how you could have prevented that the following season? You could have just been like, hey, refs, call that penalty. And then, boom, there's no more hooking and holding. You don't need to take money out of Yarmir Yager's pockets to, to prevent hooking and holding because guess what? There's still that stuff today. It's not the same as it was back then, of course. Have you ever, you ever like watch an old like nineteen ninety seven playoff game on like NHL Network for like four minutes? You're just you you cannot believe the stuff that people were getting. Even like Colorado Detroit games, which were like the pinnacle of hockey back then. Even those games were just oh. I I did a piece for for ESPN a couple years ago where because I was getting frustrated because I kept hearing people say that the NHL has gone right back to its clutch and grab days. Uh, and I, I was like, no, like, look at this. Like, they, like there were highlights where, you know, guys would come in on breakaways and just get tackled. <laughs> and then like someone else would come in and get tackled. And that person with someone lying on top of them would hit the puck, like make a desperate swing at the puck, knock it into the net. And that was a highlight. Like people were like, wow, what a great goal way to fight through. So yeah, I mean, it's nowhere near. And that is one of the few things that Batman and friends have actually accomplished in that when they came out of the 2005 lockout, they wanted to to put an end to the clutch and grab era. They largely did. I mean, you you can't recognize what you know hockey was in in 1997 or 2002 or whatever, uh, and it really was unwatchable. But it yeah, you're you're absolutely that wasn't because teams were strategically deciding that oh well we well, can't spend. It was because that's what worked. That's that's how you won. You were sitting there going okay. Yeah, these other guys have Mario Lemieux. I do not have Mario Lemieux, so I'll get Jocelyn Lemieux to go out there and just tackle Mario and and kind of sit on his back, and hopefully that'll slow him down a little bit. And it didn't really slow down Mario, but it slowed down most of the other guys. You just said Jocelyn Lemieux, and and I I know that's a real person, Jocelyn Lemieux. I was picturing it as like Jocelyn Lemieux, like I'm as in as in I'm gonna hit him and bump him. 
Jocelyn Lemieux. It would have been the perfect name for <laughs> a Mario Lemieux shadow. And then, you know, if 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 it got if it got really vicious and and it wasn't enough to be Jocelyn Lemieux, you know what comes next? Who's that? Claude Lemieux. Ah, uh, yeah. Good old Claude Lemieux. I remember like back in the 90s when I was like a big Devils fan, like that was like the thing to watch. Like they would show really like, replays of shifts where Claude Lemieux was shadowing Cam Neely. That was the excitement. Like, oh, here comes the Bobby Carpenter line to shadow Cam Neely's line. And you were like, wow, this is awesome. Meanwhile, it's like one nothing for the third straight game with two minutes to go in the third period. And, and you hear that now, like someone will be like, oh, Nazem Kadri's going to shadow this. No, yeah. no, he's not. Not today. <laughs> like back then it was literally, I mean, there's, I've seen clips where guys you know for 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 the younger listeners or if you're new to the sport and you're like okay when they say shadow like you would literally right have a guy go out there and just follow Wayne Gretzky around without the puck or follow Brett Hall around yeah with or without the puck like it, it was that's why it was called a shadow you were going to be there right there behind him and in some cases like literally there's clips out there where it's like Wayne Gretzky is in the offensive zone. The puck's not near him, and he's got a guy standing behind him literally with his glove on his back. Like, he's holding on to the back of his jersey. And so that if Wayne goes in a certain direction, that guy just follows right behind with his with his hand. And that was, like, that was defense back then. So, you know, you they've done a good job of getting rid of all that. The problem is they, they got rid of it all, and it didn't you know, the scoring rates are still what they were. And the fact that they got rid of that stuff is probably why we're talking about scoring rates being flat and not plunging even further. I mean, if they, if in today's NHL with today's players and the defensive strategy, if, if you could also clutch and grab and shadow and do all that stuff, we'd probably be talking about four goals a game instead of five and a half. So I guess we we can be thankful for, for that small mercy that the league actually got that right but yeah it, it's it's a little rich for Gary Bettman to jump on the bandwagon now and and go yeah it it was it was terrible for all those years because you're sitting there going like refresh my memory who was the commissioner back then like who had the power to actually step in I I forget I don't know whoever so, that guy was was obviously not doing a very good job it was a, some young young upstart who came into the league and was like glowing pucks that's the future I don't know who that guy was I feel like it was an NBA guy. Yeah, might have been David Stern's like younger brother or something. I don't know. I forget. But the other the other Bettman thing that I thought was great. You know, it, it's always cute when he says this is when he says something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't like work stoppages. I hate work stoppages. I don't want to. I, I want to go home and watch hockey at night. First of all, it must be great to work at the NHL and not have to work at night, buddy. Some of us didn't have to have that privilege where we had to actually go to a game or we had to actually be in the office and work. But whatever, Gary. Um, He's also kind of lording over the next CBA where, hey, you know what? If, it'll be interesting to see who opts out. We have, you know, the owners can do it on the 1st and the players can do it on the 15th or the 19th, whatever it is. And we'll see what happens. But, you know, we have the Olympics coming up and, you know, are we going to go or not? I don't know. So you just know they're going to use the Olympic leverage to make sure they don't opt out of the CBA when they the players really should. It's such a bad CBA for them. I'm sorry. Like if 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 this CBA is set up where um, Carl Alsner is is getting a bigger salary cap hit on his contract than Nikita Kucherov, something is broken. Something is wrong. Players aren't getting paid what they should be paid. 
you know, the, the whole raising the draft year thing, all this stuff they're going to use to, to basically keep the, the status quo. They're like, well, we're going to make it a lot worse for you. You're going to be 19 when you come in and you're not going to be able to go to the Olympics if you opt out of it. And so maybe that keeps them in. But God, I just hate hearing Gary Bettman talk. Like I wish for Gary Bettman, I wish we treated him like we should treat like Sean Spicer and and uh, Sarah Huckabee, where like we shouldn't let them talk live anywhere. We should we should vet everything they say once they're done to see how bullshitty it is. And with Gary Bettman, like you said, like like yeah, he was lying twenty years ago, so we have to assume probably he's lying today when he talks. So why don't we just like put him on like a five minute delay? Not even a five minute delay, like a, like a thirty minute delay. You know, in, internalize everything you said, and then figure out what the crap is. And usually, it's mostly crap. So you just you, you, you chop because I think it was uh, who was doing the interview yesterday. It was uh, one of the TSN announcer guys, uh, Gord Miller. Gord Miller, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like like I would like to see him interviewed by like Bob Costas or like someone who's going to like have a follow up question when he says like I don't like work stoppages. Like a uh, timeout. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you there, Gary. I think you love work stoppages. You stopped the season for the Olympics. You stopped it for the CBA, and now you don't like work. Uh, God, it's well, we I mean, we kind of had that for a while with Ron McLean, where they would do their their one awkward interview a year, <laughs> and and you know like and it would it would just be painful to watch because like Gary Bettman. Do you remember? Did you ever see the one where like Gary Bettman kept touching him, like he kept grabbing his arm? Every no. time, because Ron McLean would would basically do that and say like, "Well, you know, you're," he would do it in that gentle kind of polished interviewer type way where uh, he wouldn't just outright call him a liar to his face, but he would he would push back and, and Gary Benton would get very annoyed and depending on who you listen to, that may or may not have filtered its way to Ron McLean's bosses and, mm-hmm, uh, sure. you know, and, and, and all of that. But I, I don't know if, if people listening to this, if, if you read my, my Friday columns over the summer, I proposed an idea that I, that, that doesn't actually, it doesn't help with anything other than your own mental health. But I, I still think that that's, it's, it's worthwhile. And that is just that every time you hear Gary Bettman say anything, you have to picture in your own mind that he immediately followed that up by saying something to the effect of, and because I have been the commissioner of this league for 25 years now, I take full responsibility for that. And if you just picture him saying that at the end of everything, suddenly it it just becomes a lot easier to stomach. So when he sits there and says, you know, oh, the hockey was garbage in 1999 <laughs> and I was the commissioner, so I take full responsibility for that you know, your blood doesn't boil quite as much. When he says that we can't figure out a way to get our players to the Olympics in China, even though everybody knows it would be uh, a great chance for us to grow the game, uh, and we might be in the middle of a lockout at that time anyways, I'm the commissioner and I take full responsibility for that. Then suddenly you're sitting there going, okay, yeah, he he gets it. He understands. Uh, You know, I, I just assume that he is thinking that and just feels as if he doesn't need to say it because it's so apparently obvious. So you're, you're a member of the Toronto media, even though you're not in Toronto. I, I, I consider you <laughs> part of that, part of that I, group. Yeah. I'm, I'm often told by, uh, yeah, there, there are people out there. I think I've been, uh, called a member of the Toronto media by yeah. certain, uh, Edmonton sports writers. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they like to pull that one out on me. So, so let me ask you this: When when Brian Burke was the was the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs for all those years, 
why why were you so mean to him when he clearly was doing such an awesome job? Yeah, because as as Gary or as as Brian Burke said, we the Toronto media wanted the Leafs to lose. Right. Why? Why do you yeah. want that? How come? Well, answer because we're because because we're mean and evil, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is it's pretty great. The yeah. I I mean, I, I don't know that you can roll your eyes hard enough on that. And and I'll preface this by saying, like, I I love Brian Burke. I love Brian Burke's sound bites. I think we are so blessed in this league to have one guy who is willing to just say. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stupid stuff. Maybe not. Idiotic stuff. Interesting. Sometimes crazy. Sometimes honest. Sometimes probably not so honest, but is, is willing to to you know say say something that's vaguely uh worth paying attention to every now and then but yeah clearly this idea that any media anywhere uh is actively working to sabotage the local team i mean there's every big sports market has one or two columnists who will occasionally cause trouble for the sake of it because that's how they they keep their own name uh in in top of mind for sports fans and that's unfortunately just kind of part of the game but the the idea that you've got this collective quasi conspiracy being acted out is uh i'm gonna say a little bit far-fetched and uh as as was has been pointed out by more than a few people since brian burke said that the fact that you've got a team that's now winning and you look at how the toronto media is is treated like as somebody outside of the toronto media dave do you feel like do you feel like the toronto media fails to pump the tires of the toronto maple leafs uh as as much as they should so so while this podcast was on hiatus while we were waiting for the matthew shane trade to happen out of protest and we weren't going to record one until matthew shane was traded there was a story i want to say like two weeks into the season on tsn which is a a media company, I believe based just outside Toronto. I want to say their offices are in Scarborough. Yeah. I, don't tell me I don't know Ontario geography, Matt Duchesne fans. <laughs> um, they posted something to Twitter. I don't know if it was like a full story or what, but it was just, the question was, does Matt, does Matt Duchesne, does Austin Matthews get enough respect? This was a guy who won Rookie of the Year unanimously, not unanimously, but he won the Rookie of the Year the year before. He got some MVP votes and he was off to a great start and people were pumping his tires left and right. And this was two weeks into the season. People were like, I don't know if people love him enough. Let's love him some more. So I'm going to sit here and say maybe the Toronto media was negative the whole time Brian Burke was there because Brian Burke did a really bad job while he was there. I'm just, I don't know. And now they're, now they're more positive because the team is, is good and went to the playoffs in an 82 game season and, and the, the future looks bright. I, I, again, I am not a scientist. I am not somebody with a, with a degree from Harvard, but I just feel like maybe the media coverage is more positive when the team is good and the team isn't, you know, trading away picks that become Tyler Sagan and, and all those awesome Anaheim Ducks players that he traded away that eventually became the draft picks in those trades. I don't know. I, again, again, 
I, I didn't go to crazy schools like Northwestern and get my journalism degree there. You know, I just, I just, I'm just picking up stuff as I go here. And I'm just thinking maybe if you're a, the kind of guy who um, announces transactions on Christmas Day, the media is not going to be really kind to you on those other days when, you know, your your team sucks. But I, you know, I don't know. That that's just that's just me. Okay, so just just so I'm clear, you're saying Austin Matthews, <laughs> Mitch Marner, good, mm-hmm. Vesa Toscala, Mike Commissarek, not good. Right. Yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. You know what? There could there could be something to that. We might have to dig a little deeper. JVR for Luke Shen. Hey, you did a great job there. You absolutely did. But um, yep. Ron Wilson as your coach for all those all those years. Ah, maybe you shouldn't have done that. And maybe you should hear about that from a columnist a couple times a year. And, and maybe you should. And you know, it was pointed out because this it. this was said uh, in the context of of Brian Burke defending Sam Bennett, who is yeah. a young player in Calgary who's off to a terrible start, and and he had. And you know, I'll, I'll give him this. Even even when Brian Burke is spewing nonsense, he's at least entertaining in how he does it. Because he had some comment about how, like, if this if Sam Bennett was in Toronto, uh, you know, the media would want to trade him, and they'd be calling for his head, and, and half of them would be questioning his parents and and all of this. And you know, you go, okay, maybe. But then you look at this year's Leafs, and they've got Mitch Marner, right. who up until recently was off to a terrible start, and. Like nobody was calling for him to be traded. Nobody was harassing his parents or, or any of that stuff. So like we have a pretty good uh, test case to uh, to to check this claim against. And it uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fact check mostly false on this one. The 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 Sean and Dave Politico fact check says lies from Brian Burke, and also like. It, it, there is probably a difference because I mean I'm, I'm not I don't live in Toronto I never lived in Calgary but it does seem like Toronto is more willing to point out bad things are happening as opposed to the Calgary media who's like hey I think maybe the people should spend their tax money on a new arena yeah. I think that would be a great idea and here's all the reasons why so maybe maybe Brian Burke has found a much more um, friendly team ownership uh, positive media thing there because I mean Sam Bennett doesn't have a goal yet right he still doesn't have a, I don't think he scored I think he finally got one but yeah the, the, no and it's it's like somebody pointed out they said like if you know one way to, like if I was in the Calgary media I might be vaguely insulted right now the thing with the Toronto media is like you hear this sometimes that oh they're they're so negative they're so tough the reality the Toronto media isn't isn't tough and it's not and it's and it's not the opposite of tough. It's big. That's the problem. Like the, there are four major daily newspapers in Toronto. There's two all sports radio stations. There are two national sports TV state two TV networks that are based in Toronto. Like there's there's just so many people. Everyone's looking for a different angle. Everyone's looking for for some way to not sound exactly like everyone else. So yeah, occasionally you do get these stupid stories where like Dion Phaneuf's hat is a problem or or <laughs> Phil Kessel, you know, says something and, or somebody posts something on Instagram. Yeah, I mean that Wait, was that a real problem? That, Dion Phaneuf's hat was that was that a real thing or did you you're There gonna... was. Yeah, there was a there was a controversy because Dion Phaneuf was wearing in his post-game interviews was wearing like a hat from a sponsor of his and not a Maple Leafs hat. <laughs> and so somebody wrote a column. And yeah, like when you see that, you, you you go, okay, now, yes, that is something that probably 
only becomes a story in in Toronto and maybe a handful of other markets. And you know, I I doubt I doubt there's too many Carolina Hurricane players getting roasted over what hat they wore. But that you know, that's that's not a case of media being negative. That's a case of like one guy being like, "Man, I haven't been on the front page in weeks. I'm getting drowned out by everyone else. I got to go find something." Uh, and they do that, but it's not, they're, they're not negative. I mean, th- the fact that you, you look back at the, like the Burke years and, and then the Nonus years, you know, when, when Dave Nonus signed David Clarkson and, and had that whole free agency run and then was handed an extension, uh, as a reward for making it into the playoffs, the fact that like every newspaper didn't have a front page, uh, column demanding that everyone involved in the Leafs who was involved in that decision be fired tells you that that they're not too negative they're if anything maybe a little more uh, trusting and positive than the team deserved at its at its really lowest points that was also a situation where they hadn't been to the playoffs in so long and it was just they were just so happy to get there I don't think they cared how they got there and the fact that it was a 48 game season they were just like this is great like you're on a desert island and someone throws you like a lukewarm you know lead-filled bottle of water you're like i'll take it it's great put it in my body but you know i don't i mean i'm i'm a little hazy here but i, I feel like that 2013 playoff run didn't end very well uh, for the maple leafs I, yeah. I feel like there was something negative that happened at the very end there but so you know maybe maybe that should have been uh i don't know i Anytime you hear somebody say, oh, the Toronto media is so negative, just remember, it's not that the Toronto media is so negative. It's the Toronto media is so huge. And there's going in, in any group of 50 people or 100 people or however many are covering this team every day, there's going to be one or two people who are not having a good day and not at their best. And unfortunately, because of the way the media works, sometimes those people get surfaced to the top of uh, the top of the timeline and the top of the the uh above the fold front page um but that that doesn't mean that the entire media is out there plotting against uh the local teams and and trying to make sure they don't have success okay so now that we're done talking about steve simmons it's time for a new segment (laughs) on the show called dave and sean fix and we're not going to do this every week i mean we probably will because we'll always find something to complain about but we're going to find something that's wrong in hockey and we're going to fix it. We don't have a sponsor yet. We can just make it, make it up. We're sponsored by Redco Audio. Redco Audio. No, they're not really a sponsor. I don't want to say that. But uh, maybe if you want to sponsor it, you can because it's going to be an awesome segment like this week where we're going to fix. We've done this before, but now we're really going to fix it. The Hockey Hall of Fame. It's, it's about time that somebody like me and Sean, Sean and I, solve the Hockey Hall of Fame problem. Now, this year... It was Timo Solani, it was Paul Curry, it was Dave Andrichuk, it was Mark Recchi, and then there were some other people too that got in whose names I don't remember. I believe there was an old older gentleman, and I believe a woman as well. I don't I don't know what their names are, but I, I don't really care. I barely care about the, the, the main four guys that got all the attention that got in. And so all those guys deserve to get in by the standard of the Hockey Hall of Fame that's been set, where, you know, like after 30 years, Rogi Bashan becomes a Hall of Famer for some reason, even though there were plenty of years where he didn't get in and there was only like two people that got in that year, but that's a whole other thing. I believe the way to fix it, the way that starting next year is a good year to do it too, because it's a perfect year to do it. Two people per year. 
That's it. Just two people. You don't need to put six people in, four people in. You just get the two best people that are eligible that year. So for me next year, it would be, it would be, I mean, obviously Brodor is going to be one of the, the locks. And then you have like Alfredson, you have Zuboff. Personally, I'm okay if just Brodor gets in and nobody else gets in and then maybe do something next year. But my, my, my number two guy next year would be Sergey Zuboff. I'm a huge Sergey Zuboff stan, as the kids say. I'm standing for him. I think that's the right term. If it's not, I apologize if that's an offensive term. I think standing is a thing that people say. <laughs> and beyond that, I just feel like, like, I get it. I get why you put so many people in. The more people in the Hall of Fame, the more likely you're going to have a fan of that person come and show up and pay money to walk around and look at their skates and their jockstrap or whatever. But I just think the Hall of Fame should just have a super duper high, you know, standard for letting people in. And yes, Dave Andrewchuk and Mark Recchi are Hall of Famers by the current standard. But I just think the standard should be higher where whenever a guy gets in, you're just like, wow, Martin Brodeur. It's the only guy going in. Let's celebrate Martin Brodeur this year. And, and it's just never going to be that way. But that's how I would start fixing it. This kind of gets to the concept of what a Hall of Fame should be and whether it's the absolute very best of the best or whether it's expanded a little bit. And I think I think most people would agree that the Hockey Hall of Fame is is casts kind of a wider net. There are certainly some names who are in the Hall of Fame who were very good players, but even some guys that at the time that you were watching them play you you were never like, "Oh, man, watch that guy, Timmy, because someday that guy's going to be someday Dino Cicerelli will be in" right in the hall of fame Bill Housley. and even <laughs> well even you know even dave anderchuk who you know was like i'm he he was a key part of my favorite team ever which is those early 90s leafs teams i you know even then you never you never kind of looked at right that and went yeah that's that's future hall of, that's you know gilmore to anderchuk that there's two future hall of famers right there i mean we we figured gilmore might be but uh, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm one of these guys where the, whenever you're talking Hall of Fames, you get into this debate of like, what's more important? Is it the peak or is it the the overall where you've got the longevity? And, you know, do you want a guy who did it, who was the best in the business for five years? Or do you want somebody who was very good for 20? And I've always been a more of a peak guy. Like I, I want, give me somebody at their best. Give me Paul Correa. Give me Pavel Bure over the uh, the guys who who stuck around long enough to to rack up big numbers, but were never really at the top of the conversation. But I also acknowledge that there is there, like there has to be a certain point where those numbers get high enough where you're like, all right, we, we got to have a look at this guy. And and like Dave Anderchuk may never have felt like a sure thing Hall of Famer, but you know you, you get there are guys who got to 500 goals, and you go, yeah, you know, I don't. I don't think so. Like I'm not I'm not feeling the Peter Bondra Hall of Fame case. You get to 550 goals and you're like, "Ah, you know, geez, I I don't know, Keith Kachuk, well, maybe maybe he's got a better shot." You get to 600, now you're in pretty rich. You get to 640 goals, which is where Dave Anderchuk was and like I feel like there is a certain point where you got to go, "Yeah, you know what? This this guy's in because his his numbers are so you know, you look at the the guys around him on the list. And Mark Recchi too. You know, Mark Recchi would have, if he didn't get in, would have been pretty much alone in the top twenty-five 
all time for scoring as, as far as guys not getting in. So here's my here's my here's my argument against. The, here's the thing though is with Korea, Lindros, Pavel Bore, the Hall of Fame says these guys had their careers cut short by injury, so we're going to put them in. And then you have Andrichuk, and they say, well, this guy happened to not get injured ever seriously for a very long time, so we're going to put him in. So to me, it has to be one or the other. Either like either you acknowledge that injury is sort of like a, a, a random thing that happens. Like Dave Andrichuk could have you know, took a puck in the in the mouth and broke his jaw and missed 50 games and suddenly he only has 580 goals. You're in a way rewarding just kind of luck, you know, genetics that this guy has, you know, unbreakable bones. He's like Bruce Willis in the movie, which is called Unbreakable. It's a little, as I said, unbreakable earlier. But then at the same time, you can't, like to me, it's either one or the other. Either you reward the guys who got unlucky with concussions or knee injuries or whatever, or you reward the guys that you know fought through and played hurt and all that sort of stuff. Like to me, like you can't use that same criteria twice for two different things. So I don't know who I would reward. I, and I, I'm like you. I would I would lean towards the, the the guys like Korea. But the the other group that that is tricky and that kind of fits into that is the guys who had the great peak and then fell off not because they got hurt or at least not because they got hurt in some sort of career altering or career ending way but who just kind of stopped producing at that level and and that's why whenever you know somebody's talking about well is this guy going to make the hall of fame and you'll hear someone say you know if if his career ended today this guy is a hall of famer and and to me it's like well it's not if his career ended today put you know forget about if his career ended today what about if his career goes for 10 more years but he's not that good you know what if he's you know like a guy comes to mind is like 10 years or ago or so if i had said is danny heatley going to be in the hall of fame mm-hmm. you would have been like absolutely it's got 50 goals score you know multiple times first line first team all-star yeah danny heatley's headed towards the hall if his career ended today he'd be you know if danny heatley had broken his leg and hadn't been able to play again he might have gone to the hall of fame but instead he did what a lot of guys do which is he hit the age he hit the wrong side of 30 and his production fell off and now he's not even going to be a guy who's going to be in the conversation so it is it's it's this weird kind of balancing act between the peak years and you know you know like I remember Paul Correa being a guy that I wasn't really sold on until a couple of years ago. I sat down to write one of these, one of these articles where you do the okay, let's weigh the pros and cons of of certain guys who haven't made it in yet. And I sat down to do his, and I was like, holy smokes, this guy's got a phenomenal case. Like this, he was one of the best wingers in the league for uh, for you know four or five years. Uh, which, you know, to me, if you're at the peak of a position for four or five years, that should be enough to get you into the conversation. And yet it it isn't always. Because I think of a guy who didn't end up with quite the career numbers as Paul Correa, but had a peak that was every bit as impressive, and yet you never even hear mentioned in these conversations, which is John LeClaire. John LeClaire was like a first or second team all-star like four or five times uh, in a very short span. And yet, you know, people just kind of, go, you know, again, he sort of falls into that category of guys who, you know, rather than have the big injury that, you know, ends his career, he, he sort of fades out a little bit more. And, and I don't know. It's very strange to me who gets 
their names surfaced in these conversations regularly and and who doesn't like i've 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 said before like i i think daniel alfredson's getting in the hall of fame i don't understand why he's considered a slam dunk right when a guy like rod brindamore as far as i know was never even seemed to be in the conversation even though rod brindamore won a stanley cup had better numbers won selkies and all this other stuff so i don't know i i'm and that kind of gets to my proposal for for fixing or at least improving the hall of fame it's it's a little less well it's a little less radical than yours but my my main issue with the hockey hall of fame as a fan is i don't i don't like the 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 process that they use to select Hall of Famers, it's, it's not that I don't like the process itself. And if people don't know, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame, it's the inductees are selected by a committee. There's 18 people from around the hockey world, former players, former coaches, a couple of media guys. Uh, and, it, and it is a blue ribbon panel. Like it, You cannot find fault with the, with the, 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 the guys. It's a who's who of, of people that you know, it's, it's Scotty Bowman and never heard of him. Bob Bob McKenzie, nope, and, don't know uh, that guy. you know, a cup bunch of bunch of ex players. I mean, it's mm. it's it's really is a who's who of smart hockey people. But they basically go into a room. They have conversations about certain players. They vote. You need, I think, seventy five percent. So that would be fourteen out of the eighteen have to vote yes on a guy. And at the end of the day, they come out with their list and say these are the guys who who got those 14 votes and that's it that's all that we ever know that's a is bad who, system that's a really who bad got system. the 14 and who didn't and i you know i don't mind the system there's different ways to do it right like baseball you've got the the, the writers vote and in baseball everything we we see all the vote totals every year so you know how close a guy is getting to the 75 percent. you get situations like the tim rains thing for where for years and years he was getting closer and closer and then finally got in his last year got in and you could kind of see how how that was progressing we don't have that in hockey and I, and I understand why they don't release just the vote total because again you've got baseball you've got 500 writers voting on it hockey you've got 18 people and they probably don't feel like having everyone they know come up and ask you know about whether they voted for Dave Anderchuk or, or whatever else but I, I feel like we should have more insight into how that voting goes if only because it you know again to help us part of the reason we have a hall of fame is for the fans and for the fans to not only recognize the players but to have the debates and to have those arguments and should this guy get in should this guy not and i think it'd be a lot more fun to have those debates if we knew who was getting close and who wasn't and like you know was you know, like Rogi Vashaw, it took 34 years. Right. <laughs> Did like, was he just, you know, like just missing year after year after year? Or was he someone who had completely fallen off the radar? And then somebody walked into that room a few years ago who had a big enough voice and said, I'm going to make the case for Rogi Vashaw. You guys are all going to listen to me and I'm going to basically pound the table until I can convince you guys to vote for it, for this guy. Uh, you know, I suspect it was the latter, but we don't know. So my fixed to, to sort of my compromise between understanding that they don't want to release all the vote totals every single year uh, versus having a little bit more transparency. I would like to see them tell us, give us everyone who got between seven and the 14 votes. 
just give us that tier of guys and say, okay, here's the people who made the Hall of Fame, and here's the people who were, for lack of a better term, in in the second tier or the guys who were who were close or were in the discussion. And that way we can know, okay, who who didn't come close? Who are the guys that you know apparently aren't in the discussion? And who are the people who are that maybe we can focus our our debate for next year on? Like, you know, is Jeremy Roenick close or is Jeremy Roenick kind of dropped off the conversation? I would like to know that. And I think it'd be, I think fans would like to know it. And I think it'd make it more, like I say, more fun and give us more room to debate and also introduce an element of accountability. Because if, if a guy like a Rogi Vachon is not getting votes for 30 years and then suddenly gets in, I think it is fair to ask some questions about why is that and what exactly happened in that room that uh, that this guy suddenly makes it in after three decades. I like it, but I, I'd like to... I, I think you should just release your vote. Like, that's a big thing with the PHWA and hockey in general is nobody ever wants to... Not nobody, but there's a lot of people that don't want to release their, their heart trophy, call their trophy ballots and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. the, the, I don't understand the whole, like, oh, I don't want people to bother me and ask me about, like don't respond like like are people coming yeah. up to you with like starbucks you're like yeah how you doing ken campbell i want like a large latte please and someone's like ken campbell didn't you have jeremy roenick on your like and you can just be like leave me alone i don't want to talk to you or you or, or you can just talk mm-hmm. to them for the 30 seconds you're waiting for your coffee and leave like is that really such a big hassle like i get it for the like for the writers i'm with you like we we should release our ballots i think you and i both do release our ballots and and most of the writers seem to these days I, but I get that it's different when, you know, there's there's hundreds of us who are voting. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you didn't vote for Eric Carlson for the Norris and some Sens fan wants to yell at you, that's that's probably fair. But you know what? At the end of the day, my vote didn't cost Eric Carlson right. the, the Norris trophy. Oh, I see what you're saying. But for the Hall. And yeah. It, versus, you know, if, if it's the Hall of Fame, there's 18 people. And, and again, these are, you know, 18 people who are very well respected in the hockey world but that also means they're very well connected which means you know i i don't know that does it change the nature of that conversation if i know that jeremy roenick is going to know that i was a no and jeremy roenick is going to know that he had 13 votes and he needs 14 and i'm one of the five people who said no and kept him out of what would be the greatest honor of his entire professional life but that goes one of two ways for you either jeremy roenick sends you death threats or he sends you like a big old basket of muffins he's like hey sean yeah jeremy roenick here just wanted to see if you wanted this big old you know fruit basket enjoy it or or i end up saying you know what anyone that i would consider a friend or someone i'm on friendly terms with i don't want to deal with being the guy who crushed their dream so i'm going to suddenly be a yes on a lot more guys than maybe i would normally be and that gets to your concerns with with the hall of fame letting in too many people you know i think if you make it fully transparent you probably see even more guys getting in because you know you know if i'm if i'm scotty bowman and i'm voting on some player who played for me for 10 years do i really want them you know the next time i see them at the you know the alumni game or at that uh you know whatever else it is going like really man like i i played through like i had a had a broken collarbone i played for you in the playoffs played through it like you this is this is the payback I get, and you know maybe you're just going, yeah, you know what? Sure, let's let's put them all in there, and uh, 
and and you and you wind up with more guys. You know, it's 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 the law of unintended consequences. Always seems to kick in whenever anything changes in the hockey world. Who are your, who are your guys for next year based on the Hall standards? Minor, I I feel like Brodeur, Alfredson, and I'm always going to say Sergey Zuboff should be the the only guys that get in. I saw Marty St. Louis' name getting thrown around. Marty St. Louis is, is the other first time yeah. candidate, and he's he's yeah. a guy that. And and he seems to be. Yeah. I get the sense that people are like, yeah, he's in. Yeah, he's maybe a little more borderline for me. He's I would put him in ahead of. I put him in ahead of Alfredson, though. Really? Why? I, I he's a like... Hart Trophy winner. The guy. The guy won a Hart Trophy. He won two Art Rosses. So, as far as what he did, he was yeah. the best in the league twice. Now, one of them was a straight shortened year. One of them was or lockout shortened year. One of them, he won the Art Ross at like ninety points because, as Gary Bettman told us, hockey was garbage back then. But. <laughs> Still, you know, and he's got a good story, which I know shouldn't really matter, but he's short. It does. I get it. He's tiny. you know, he's the little guy. Got cut. Uh, got you know, was was a walk on for, you know. I so to me, you know, I don't like. Was there ever a time where you watched Daniel out? Like Daniel Alverson was a great player for a long time. Did everything team ever asked him to? Did, what was there ever a moment when if someone had come down and said, "Who's the best winger in the league?" That you would have been like Daniel Alfredson. There's not, not, be- not best, but he would have been in in your what top five? Yeah, top for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So, like, I but feel like if meanwhile, Mar- if Marty Saint Louis was like six foot two, we wouldn't be talking about him for the Hall of Fame. That, like, it just it's, again, it's one of these things where it's like, oh, his career was cut short by injury. You got to put him in. Oh, he had a long career. You got to put him <laughs> in. Oh, he's five. So foot you're nine. saying he was he was cut short by by nature. Not by injury, right? Right, yeah. Like I, if he got squished in like a in like a in like a car compactor, I'd be like, "That's a great story." This guy was six foot one, and then he got crushed in a car compactor, and he was five foot five. That's amazing. I'm just gonna say this: Martin Saint Louis, in addition to having won a Hart Trophy, two Art Rosses, he was. I just looked it up. He was a postseason All Star. So, in other words, considered one of the by the voters one of the four best wingers in the NHL five times in his career. Daniel Alfredson, one time in his career. 2006, he was a second-team All-Star. Has never a first-team All-Star, Martin St. Louis was. Uh, and and only only the one, I think, maybe was a third, third if there had there been a third team, one other time, one other top-five finish. So, I mean, you know, the voters are not infallible, for sure, but I think that's a pretty good indication that in terms of again, if you're talking the peak, if you're talking the best of the their very best years, I think Martin Saint Louis was was at another level to what Daniel Alfredson and Daniel Alfredson. The flip side is he did it for longer and 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 sort of wound up with the the better numbers because of it. But um, yeah, I so yeah, if I have a vote, Broder obviously, I think I, I would be a tough vote, but I think Saint Louis probably gets my vote i think alfredson does too but uh, you know again i just don't understand why it's considered some some sort of sure thing and then i you know if i had to go some there there's other guys that i could talk myself into i could talk myself into ronick i could one guy that one guy that uh i i looked at recently and I was I was surprised again at how strong a case I thought there was, and and this is another one of these kind of Rogie Vachon deals where it's been so many years that you have to assume that the guy's kind of fallen off the off the discussion list. Don't say Chris Doug, Osgood. Doug Wilson, no, not Chris oh, Osgood. Okay, okay, Lord, no, no. Put in <laughs> Curtis Joseph before you put in Chris Osgood. 
Doug Wilson has is one of those guys, not only excellent career numbers, but also, you know, had, had a high peak. You know, this guy won a Norris. I think he was top three in the voting or, you know, a few other times. Uh, you know, had kind of, we, we talk about how there are certain guys that maybe don't get the respect they deserve because they were, they came along, they played center in the league at the same time as Lemieux and Gretzky. And so they were never anywhere near the, the hard trophy or the all-star conversation. You know, Doug Wilson came along at probably the, the, maybe the greatest era ever for defense, but you know, that Ray Bork, Brian Leach, Chris Chelios, uh, era, and yeah, he was right there in there with them for a while. I, and I was surprised when I sort of went to, I was basically writing a piece about guys who probably shouldn't be in the conversation. And I ended up almost talking myself into him. So he's a guy that, you know, you mentioned Zubov as a defenseman. He, he's another guy that kind of uh, at that position, I think has a much stronger case, at least than, than people might think. I'm not saying I, he'd have my vote, but he'd, he'd be a guy I'd want to at least kind of flag a little bit more than I think he does. Although, again, maybe Doug Wilson is right there in the conversation year in and year out, and we just have no way of knowing about it. All right, we got to wrap it up soon, so we got some questions. We kind of we kind of dodged them last week because we were short on time, and we're kind of in the same spot this time, but let's get a couple in here. Tyson Thorpe, Tyson underscore Thorpe. Do the Blue Jackets have all the pieces they need to make a serious Stanley Cup run? Um, a serious yeah. Stanley Cup run. I mean, as opposed to a comedic one uh, or a yeah. tragic one. Uh, yeah. I mean, they have Sergei Bobrovsky, so yeah, they could they could do some stuff. I think. I'd like I'd like to see them make an ironic Stanley Cup <laughs> run. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, yes, they have all the pieces to be one of the ten teams that has a realistic shot at a Stanley Cup, which I, I'm more and more convinced is pretty much. The best you can do in this league is is to get to that top ten, top eight, maybe top six, and then you just roll the dice. And yeah, they've got they've got the pieces, including one of the best goaltenders in the world. So you know, I I wouldn't be shocked. But at the same time, are they one of my favorites? Not right now. Okay, check back okay. at the end of the year. And one more, Steve Ah uh, underscore U underscore No says, can the Jets keep this up, or will Connor Hellybuck? you know, get bad again. I mean, obviously he's going to come back to earth, but the problem with the Jets has always been goaltending. They, they never get a guy that can stop 92% of shots and they, you know, have Pavlik and last year the goaltending was bad and Steve Mason's save percentage this year is like 750 or something. He's terrible. But if Connor gives them 920 at least the rest of the season, I think they'll be a playoff team. They're, that's all they need. Yeah. They have defensemen, they have forwards. Paul Maurice just can't seem to find the goalie they can make saves. If they get goaltending, I think they can be even more than the playoff team. We've been waiting for this for years and years with this this team, all the young talent that they've they've built up. And it hasn't happened. And I, I'm not, largely because of goaltending, I'm not completely sold on Paul Maurice as a as a coach. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not completely sold on Kevin Shoveldayoff as a GM. I've uh, made that point, uh, I think, more than a few times. But uh, at the end of the day, they, they got a great young roster. And, and yeah, I mean, I've, Connor Hellebuck is is was considered one of the top young goalies in the world, uh, you know, a year or two ago. So I, I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he becomes a very good NHLer. And if he does, I think it, I mean, playoffs for sure, and and maybe they can emerge as as one of the teams to kind of grab that mantle in the Central if uh, if and when the Blackhawks are ready to give it up. 
I think they already are. So that's all the time we have for today. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to Biscuits, colon, a hockey podcast. Uh, we want to thank you for coming back after our Matt Duchesne-imposed hiatus. We, we have we have strong feelings about Matt Duchesne and Joe Sackick and trades, and we just wanted to sit it out until that trade was official. Uh, thanks for the questions. We'll get to more questions as we get our timing down better because we keep looking down at the clock and we realize there's like three seconds to go, and it's like, let's do nine questions in three seconds. So we're, we're, we're sorry about that. And uh, I want to thank our, our producer, Marina Kozlock, who's a Canadian and disagrees with all of our opinions about Canada and, and hockey and, and makes a lot of faces when I say stuff that's anti-Canadian, but that's fine. She deserves to do that. And uh, Sean, you want to you wanna say goodbye to the people too? Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. And Gary Bettman, seriously, man, back off. Stop stealing our shtick. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.